Hello again, and welcome to another episode of A Thousand and One by One, where each week we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die, discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And, you know, before we get into today's uh, bizarre and strangely fascinating film audition, before we even get to our recommends, uh, we have to introduce, Ian, we have to introduce our very first guest. I'm very excited show. about this. Um, and uh, so I would I would love to introduce Brittany Reinholds Hobson. Brittany, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, uh, uh, just for the listeners, we are in three different places right now doing a Skype call. So this will be fun to, to wheedle this all together. Um, and just for, for the record, Brittany and I have done a few shows together. And yes, we Ian, have. Ian has seen one of those shows. So we're all connected in the same the same universe. That's, that's <laughs> not, not to be here. Not to be sucking up to anybody, but after we saw Closer, which is the show that we saw you both in, I showed Liz, my wife, uh, the film version, uh, the Mike Nichols film, and she said that both you and Brittany were better than Natalie Portman and Clive Owen in the film. So take that for what you will. Well, thank you very much. I uh, I do love Alice, and I feel like she's a very misunderstood creature, so it's nice when people don't hate her right off the bat. <laughs> That's true, and uh, and boy, talking about misunderstood creatures, I think that's a. We are definitely going to be talking about one of those <laughs> today. Um, oh yes, so, we are. So we we've we've introduced Brittany. We're all here, and as we always do, we will give you some recommendations this week. Brittany, as our honored guest, would you mind going first this week? Not at all. So I had a couple of different things that I wanted to recommend, but then I thought back to the last few weeks and I decided to choose a film that just completely blew my mind. And I recently watched 1988's Akira by okay. Katsuhiro Otomo. Uh, uh, I hope I'm saying that right. I don't know if I am. Oh, this is going to uh, be a podcast where we butcher names. So don't, don't even worry about it. Okay. Um, and so if you haven't seen this movie, this is a post-apocalyptic cyberpunk anime from 1988. It takes place in 2019, right before Neo-Tokyo holds the 2020 Olympics. And it follows a gang called the Capsules and their leader, Kaneda, as one of their own, becomes obsessed with this power that he recently received and it's really his descent into power hungry madness and it is one of the most beautiful animated films i've ever seen it still holds up today i think in 1988 it cost like 10 million dollars to do and i was completely blown away when i watched it i think i had to have four gin and tonics while i was watching the movie because i just couldn't it, it it was so much to take in, but I am obsessed with it. I think that it is one of the reasons why we have movies like The Matrix. And without this film, sci-fi today would not be the same. I think that's a very apt uh, uh, analysis. 
thank you. And I have not seen it. Um, but it's I fucking do, out there, man. I do know it's in the book, so uh, uh, this will this will at some point get a, a a deeper dive from at least the two of us. It's a fantastic film. I highly recommend it for anybody who likes sci-fi or animation or just watching people make really bad decisions. Oh, well, there you go. Um, Ian, would you like to go next? I would love to go next. Okay, what do you uh, got so for us? I was thinking about uh, horror films because that's what we're kind of, in a sort of generalized way, we're kind of looking at a, a somewhat horror film today. So yeah. I was thinking about more marginalized horror films and films that might be on the, the sort of fringe of what people consider to be horror or thriller. And I've brought this film up a couple of times as something that has been really influential on me and something that sort of changed my perspective on watching films. But my recommend this week is 1998 Vincenzo Natale's film Cube. And I know you know that I am a huge fan of this film. It's got a really, really big cult following. They did a couple of, uh, well, they did a sequel and they did a prequel to it. But the, the basic synopsis of this film is that uh, six people wake up uh, in this sort of maze, these different rooms uh, that are part of a larger sort of rat maze. Um, what's fascinating about this film is that if, the way that I, I look at it is if you kind of take Alien and you strip away the uh, alien nature of it and, and keep that sort of claustrophobic uh, sort of one set feel, that's that's what Cube has. And it's got an amazing cast of both American and Canadian television actors. And uh, every time I watch it, it's one of those films that I find something new to appreciate about it. And I'm a massive fan of Vincenzo uh, Natale's work. I, he's one of those guys that I wish got a f sort of fairer shake. The biggest film that he's done was Splice, and that sort of disappeared without a trace. But if you look at his filmography as a whole, fantastic Canadian director who's also uh, made a splash in television, directed episodes of both Westworld and Hannibal. But this is a film that really shook me to my core. I was about 13 the first time I saw it, and my hands shook after watching it, I, I didn't know what to do or who to talk to or how to sort of approach the end of this film. It really it really got to me. And what's funny about it is it's also a film that my dad and I bonded over, which is it's not the type of film that I thought <laughs> that my dad would be into because he's a big comic book guy and he's into all these new comic book movies and he's into stuff like um, Hunt for Red October. So I thought this would be you know, slightly out of his wheelhouse, but he, he really digs this film and so do I. So it's a, it's a film that kind of brought us together and this really deep, dark sci-fi horror thriller thing. Nice. Cube is one of my favorite movies. Oh, I, I am it. so happy that you said that it's a wonderful film. It's, yeah, Cube it's is, great. Cube is crazy. It, it, it's definitely, I haven't seen it since, I mean the, what my Western days, but it, I definitely remember being like, wow, that was, I watched something truly special and insane just then yeah the last 15 minutes of it still just shake me to my core pretty much every time well and they were so you guys do know that they only had one cube right they had to film all of the scenes within that same one set piece right and they would so, change the panels around and change yeah, the lighting yeah oh, it's fascinating so good i i love that film we we clearly have the right person on for this episode. I'm very very <laughs> thrilled about that. Um, so uh, uh, my recommend this week, I definitely would say that. Uh, unfortunately, my wife and I we've been um, 
taking advantage of the uh, more recent phenomena of films being in theaters, but also being available to, uh, to down to, to rent. And um, we did a double feature the other night of not my recommend, but a movie I did enjoy the hunt, but we also watched the new invisible man movie, um, which I got to say, I I didn't know if I was going to like it or not. And I was, I was mightily impressed with it. Um, and definitely a different kind of fun spin on it. Fun isn't the right word, but interesting would be more correct. Um, so uh, we follow Elizabeth Moss. She plays Cecilia, and um, she is in uh, an, uh, an abusive and dominating relationship with a character named Adrian. And the the opening of the movie is basically her trying to uh, escape. She's drugged him. Um, she's sort of rigged these cameras up in a way so that she can eventually get out. And uh, it's all in the trailer, so I'm not giving too much away. But we find out that two weeks later that he has died and um, she's trying to move on. But she is convinced that she is still being followed by him. And I'll leave it there because um, the the trailer does a lot. And uh, Ian, you know how much I fucking hate trailers. But uh, there are some mighty big twists and turns. And uh, I, I outright gasped at least three times being just totally surprised by what what had happened um there are some moments where the score gets a bit bombastic and i believe that's that's the a major production company backing it there's sort of that big big orchestral score behind it at times um but really great performance from elizabeth moss uh really great performance by a guy named aldous dodge who's who she's staying with during this sort of uh, weird transition period he's he's great in it too um I, I really, really like this movie, and I'm, I'm totally giving it my full-blown recommendation. Have either of you teen, two seen this yet? I haven't seen it yet, but I I was a little bit hesitant because I thought that the trailer gave everything away, but I still want to see it because I, it, Elizabeth Moss is amazing. So I'm I'm really excited to hear your glowing recommendation of it. Now I probably will rent it. Elizabeth Moss is what would pull me in. It's the director that gives me pause. Isn't it the same guy that directed the first couple of Saw movies? Uh, well, so James Wan directed the first. This is Lee Wanell, um, who was in the first Saw movie, and he directed a couple of them. Um, but I got to say, it's not... Don't... I, I, I would say don't let that skew you, knowing that he that's kind of where he made his bones. Um, I think this is a much smarter film and handled with a lot more grace than... Um, than the Saw movies are. And I'm also going to assume it's handled with a lot more grace than the Paul Verhoeven version. (laughs) Oh, Paul Verhoeven. Yeah, I'm guessing so, yeah. I've got a soft spot for him, but I tap out around uh, Starship Troopers when it comes to his filmography. Oh my gosh, I love Starship Troopers. It is a guilty pleasure. I know, I'm in the minority. it was a recommend of mine, like, I don't know, a couple months back, because I, I do really enjoy that movie. <laughs> it's a great film. But I, it's not... It, I owe it okay, a rewatch. No, it's a fun film. It's not great. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. We have three wonderful recommendations this week, and uh, I believe now it is time to move on to the main film of discussion, and that is Audition. Uh, and I should stop right now and say that I apologize if I get any of these names incorrect. Um, so, it's kind of a uh, tradition on this show. Yeah, yeah. To, is just, to not to do enough research to not pronounce the names correctly. <laughs> okay, here. So um, this is directed by Takashi 
Mike. Anybody wants to correct me, that's fine. But I'm, I'm going to I believe roll. that's correct. Ah, yes. Um, so it is. Uh, it was written by Daisuke Tengen, uh, based on Rue Murakami's book. Uh, our cast, and here, let's just get into it. Um, we got Rue Ishibashi as Shichiharu Oyama. That is our main uh, uh, character that we follow through this. Uh, we have Ihai Shina as Asami Yama, Yamazaki. She is our um, our sort of, I guess, the the lucky lady from the audition, if you will. Um, <laughs> we have we have Jen Kunamura as Yasuhisa Yoshikawa. My good lord, these are. I just wish I could do this better. That is um, Shijahiro's friend. That, that helps him with the audition. Um, and Boss Tanaka in Kill Bill. Oh, no shit. That is yeah. fantastic. I love that. Uh, we have Tetsu Sawaki as Shijihiko Oyama. That is Shijihiro's son. We have Miyuki Matsuda, who plays Roku Oyama, who is uh, Shijihiro's wife, who dies uh, in the first 10 minutes, uh, but then also kind of comes in sort of uh, flashes throughout the movie. And I didn't know if there was anybody else. I uh, I'm not sure what his character name is. It's um, the man in the wheelchair, and his name is Renji Ishibashi, um, who is a, a, a sort of a, a dance guy, and he's he's uh, he's pretty fucked up. Um, yeah, he's a, he's a fucking creep, man. Um, anybody else that you want to throw out there? Because uh, I, I could keep butchering these names, but I feel like I've gone on. <laughs> Uh, long enough there. The only one, the only other one that I would call out uh, is Ayaka Izumi, who plays Asami as a as a young girl. Anybody, uh, Britt, Anybody on your end? Um, I don't. Uh, what, did we say the name of the uh, of his secretary? Oh no, we did not. I do believe she's actually a pretty important part to the plot. Small, but. But she's she's kind of integral to this plot. That's true. That is absolutely true. Um, so cool. There we go. Those are our, our, our main cast members. Although I would say this really floats around, uh, you know, uh, Shijihiro and Asami. Um, yes. And then everybody else kind of floats in and around. Um, Takashi Miike has no other films in the book. I will say right now, I had uh, every intention to watch Ichi the Killer, and I had no time. Um, Ian, what is what is your familiarity with Miike? Uh, this is it. This is my first one of his, but I also, I'm in the same boat as you. Ichi the Killer uh, is uh, is definitely on my radar now. Oh, I was that was actually the first question I was going to ask you is if you guys were familiar with Takashi Miike's work. Um, I wouldn't say that I am a super fan in any way. Um, he has, it depending on the source you look at, he has anywhere from 47 to 100 separate uh, films, TV shows that he has directed. So it'd be kind of hard to see them all. I myself have seen Audition, Ichi the Killer, Imprint, Visitor Q, his portion of the Three Extremes, 13 Assassins, Phoenix Wright, and The Blade of the Immortal. Now, 13 Assassins did look pretty good. It's amazing. That is probably my favorite film of his. Um, I think it's the most cohesive film he has, and it's incredibly well done. I think Kashimike is a really fantastic director and he plays with genres a lot, uh, as we saw in Audition, which I don't, I think flips, it kind of transcends genre. But um, with 13 Assassins, it's such a tight film. I would highly recommend it, but that's, that's not Audition. 
No, no, but I, I intentionally saved you for last because I, I felt like between the three of us, you were going to have the, the most <laughs> Mike knowledge of us. So, no, that's that's great. That's great. I love um, Asian cinema, especially Asian horror. And I search out a lot of specific Asian horror movies to watch because I enjoy the way that they're made. And they make me think and they really disturb me. <laughs> Well, when we when we finally get around to Old Boy, we're probably going to have to have you back on then. Oh. That is one of my favorite movies. Old I Boy love Old Boy. So good. It's Old Boy is so it's good. It's mind-bogglingly good. I the one of the best quotes I ever saw about it was that it made everything Tarantino ever did look like Sesame Street. I mean, <laughs> if there's one scene that I love in cinema, it is the hallway scene where he fights with the hammer. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't need uh, to see anything else. Um <sighs> So then, uh, in terms of accolades, this was one that, and I, I, I took the one, um, the, the Rotterdam International Film Festival, where he won the, um, the Fapricci Prize and the KNF Award. But this was definitely a, uh, a festival darling. It definitely m- made the circuits uh, a lot of places. I, I know it was big in the UK. I think Vancouver, the Vancouver International Film Festival, it, it did pretty well there too. Um, so no like huge awards, but this became definitely like, that cult festival circuit like you guys got to check this movie out um and again i opened it up any other uh, accolades or awards that you guys uh saw that you wanted to throw out there well the the big thing about the rotterdam film festival where it was most successful is it had the record number of walkouts which i i found pretty interesting <laughs> yes i i read that too <laughs> i am not surprised by that at all <laughs> Um, so uh, this movie is not currently on the IMDb Top 250. It has an 81% uh, critical score with an 80% audience. Um, did anybody have any critical pieces of text they'd like to read? Well, I have uh, Kim Newman's from Empire Magazine. Every once in a while we bring them up. Uh, big magazine in the UK, and I know you can, you can get it over here if you look for it. Uh, Kim Newman said at the time, it's a creepy film that slowly develops its real scariness, but it also explores the battle of the sexes in the ways that may be specifically Japanese, but have a distinctly universal relevance. Add to that an innovative narrative turn that manages to both revitalize that tired old maybe-it's-all-a-dream gambit and pose some truly unsettling questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I have the... I, on a, I say on a whim, but I, I knew it was in the book and I heard this was good. I bought the, um, I have the Arrow version of this and uh, that came with a, um, an essay with it. And uh, so this was an essay by a guy named uh, Anton Battelle. And um, I'm going to read, read just part of it because I kind of like this. Um, While the grueling torments with which uh, this movie ends, Needles Dismemberment, might with hindsight seem to make audition align neatly with torture porn, uh, it's the, it says something that um, uh, that this is something that emerged that torture porn emerged from Western anxieties over the method of, of their nations using um, uh, uh, using um, what's the word I'm looking for torture tactics uh, torture. Yeah. Uh, yeah in the aftermath of 9/11 um, uh, it says Mike may famously have made a cameo in Eli Roth's Hostel but Mike's own broad uh, uh, of corporal depravity. Uh, had nothing indeed in historical terms could have nothing to do with the American adventurism and impropriety in the Middle East or with the atrocities in the list Abu Ghraib, Guantanamo and Bagram. Um, Mike's sadistic monstrosities were more personal than political. And I really, the reason I really liked that one was because I, I, 
I, I agree with it. And I, I do, I don't think this is torture porn in the way that hostile and saw and some of these other movies, um, would sort of uh, take this and and bend it in a different way. I totally agree with that statement. Uh, that was another question I had down about uh, if you were familiar with torture porn and if you considered this movie torture porn. And I agree. I don't consider it that way at all uh, because it does come out of Japan, which is it. This film did not come out of the uh, 9-11 and the torture that happened afterward. But also yeah. it's in torture porn film specifically, which are a valid subgenre of movie. Um, usually they focus on showing the audience every little thing that is happening. They want to show you the intestines coming out and they want to show you all of the gore they possibly can. Where here they focus mostly on someone's reaction to something happening to them. So it's more about the person responding to the torture rather than watching the torture itself which is how I saw it when I was watching it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that, I think that kind of leads us into actually talking about uh, the movie itself. So um, I guess the, the briefest uh, synopsis of the movie is, um, you know, we have uh, Shiji Hiro um, who uh, his wife passes away and uh, in, in basically in the first scene of the movie and uh, seven years goes by and his son's in school and they have a pretty good relationship, but the son has even given his dad a little shit. You know, you should move on and find somebody else to remarry. Um, he gets together with his buddy, uh, who is a producer and says, Hey, you know what we could do? We could basically, ho- uh, hold auditions and you could essentially vet these women to potentially be somebody that you could marry. Um, uh, through the process of looking through all of their headshots and essays, he finds Asami's picture. He um, he liken he likes that uh, she sort of referenced the fact that she couldn't dance any anymore to uh, basically kind of an ex- experience in death. Um, he clings to her. Uh, he, she basically has won the part in quotes before she ever steps into the room, and he begins to have a relationship with her. Everything seems to be going decently it seems like just like a kind of a fairly normal courting process we we hear and get reference to a lot of unfortunate things that have happened in her past which i'm sure we'll dive into later um eventually they go away uh for like a weekend at this sort of beachside hotel uh despite his friend saying you i don't there's something about her i don't like um they finally like consummate the relationship and that's where things really start to take a turn um, he tries to begin to explore her past uh, after he wakes up and she's gone. He tries to revisit some of her roots. He uh, meets some very disturbing people and hears some very disturbing things. And uh, the, I guess we get to the, the, the end where a lot of horrible things happen to him and also some very interesting dreamlike scenarios. And that's my uh, two minute version of Audition. It- that's a good, uh, I think you wrapped it up very well with a film that's difficult to describe. It's well, hard yeah, it, to give somebody a synopsis of this film. Yeah. Well, and something else that I read that I really liked was uh, somebody described the first half of this movie as an Uzo film, very slow and meticulous and paced and and and, uh, and dr- dramatic. You know, it's, it's yeah. it feels like, uh, I don't know, like we're watching, you know, what's a, what's a, what's an actor in there, you know, 
early to mid fifties that, that could be possibly played like somebody who's just lost their wife, who's desperate to get remarried. I mean, you could, you know, throw George Clooney and I was just going to say George Clooney. Yeah. Yeah. There's just, you know, it, it seems like we're just watching some, you know, fairly attractive middle-aged man deal with the fact that he is, he's lonely and his son is growing up and he wants somebody else in his life. And, you know, if if I didn't, the thing about this movie, and I was I didn't know when I was going to bring this up, so I'll just say it now. This movie precedes itself. I, I've never seen it before, but I know that the I've heard the ending is pretty brutal. So it's hard to come into this movie without thinking about that. You can't look at the cover of this movie without seeing a woman holding a giant syringe and think there's probably something fairly fucked up about what's going to happen in this movie. So. I, I don't know about you two, but I felt like a constant sense of dread and when is it going to happen? When, when, are, when When's the fucked upness of this movie going to take place? Well, which is, so, is both a strength and a, a weakness of the film, I found. I am very, I love a good slow burn. So I felt that the buildup throughout the movie uh, paid off in the end. For me... This film, it's, I will admit it, this is one of my favorite movies. I can't help it because I love the way that Takashi Miike put it together and the way that he goes from this romantic drama to a bit of comedy in the middle, back to the romantic drama, to this noir, to finally just ending on horror. And that, it's almost seamless the way he goes through this journey with the character of Aoyama, who is definitely our unreliable narrator throughout. And for me, it the buildup towards that end completely paid off. Uh, I was first introduced to this film in 2005. I watched it with, well, I watched half of it with a potential boyfriend who couldn't handle it. And then we did not go on another date after that. Um, and then I'd say I had that's to a pretty good yardstick. It. Right? I, I mean, you know... I, to be honest, I watched this by myself in uh, preparation for this because my husband would not be okay with this film. And that's all right. He'll watch other movies with me, just not this one. Sure. But uh, so this movie was on my radar pretty early on in its release. Uh, well, four years after in its release. But I was, you know, 16 years old when I first start watched it. So for me, I've kind of grown with this movie. And you know, this last time I wanted to try to go into it with um, a blank slate and I still was completely floored at the end of it and so thrilled to be watching the torture scene, which sounds really bad, but I I have a very soft spot for Asami. Yeah, well, I'm, again, and I feel like one of the, the, the big, big themes in this movie is, um, well, there, there are two that, that jump out to me, and it's one is just, you know, uh, child abuse, child neglect, and uh, what we hear reference to what happens in her past, but also just, and I, I'm, it's kind of great that we have an actress on here to, to, to talk about this, but just the the misogynistic nature of the audition cool. process in general. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's it's really kind of weird because next week Ian and I are talking about Tootsie, um, which is not related really in any way besides the fact that there there's some auditioning part part of it, these movies with an audition process, which it was so weird to watch Tootsie after this. But that's, that's <laughs> beside the point. Um, so, but yeah, the, just the, the whole idea of um, that that process of coming into the into the audition room. Um, I know I have thoughts about the audition process in general, but I'm I'm not a female, and I I've never experienced that side of it. So I uh, not I'm, I'm I'm certainly not looking for horror stories, but I'm I'm wondering if there's 
what what you thought of the the sort of the montage of those clips and 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 how realistic or believable uh, you found those to be? Um, so the audition I felt was very problematic, but also accurate in the way that an auditioner would potentially see people coming in because they have something in mind for what they want going forward. And they were all caricatures, the women that were coming in. We weren't seeing their true self because we were seeing the perception Aoyama had of them, which is what happens when you go into auditions. You can look at this two separate ways, auditioning. You can look at it as if you are showing up and trying to show your best self to the to the casting director and the director and the producer, or you're showing up trying to present what they want. I am very much in the pessimistic uh, mindset that you show up showing the director what they want. When I went in to audition for Alice, I made sure to wear something that I thought would portray me as that character. Not necessarily because I am Alice, but I need that person to see me as that character. So it's kind of a pessimistic point of view, but you you show people what they want to see in an audition. You're not going to show your true self. Yeah, yeah. That's for that's for the rehearsal process. That's where that exactly. comes Exactly. Yeah. And which, so which yeah, ugh. sorry, continue. Oh no, it, I don't have much to say other than auditions suck and it's hard <laughs> to watch a scene like that because people do think of it that way. I've been on the other side where somebody turns and goes, "Well, that was embarrassing." And you're like, "Wow, this person came up and and tried something for you and you're just going to brush them off and make fun of them, that's totally inappropriate, but also how people react to that situation. Auditions are awkward. They're weird. And I hate them. And why do you think you could find a wife that way? It's (laughs) very upsetting. (laughs) Yeah, to say the least. Um, Yeah, I just, I, I, yeah, there was something about the rapid fire nature of the way that 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 scene is edited that I think does sort of harken to that this is sort of our kind of comedic bit you know even when there's that one woman who's crying it's kind of funny because it does come out of nowhere and it's it's not quite what we've seen from anybody else so far and it i yeah i i think that's a uh we don't get a lot from those from those actresses but i do think it it should kind of shows the how how hustle and bustle it is but how much you know in a real way if you're sitting behind the desk you all you might remember from any of these women are you know I, oh that was the one who had the baton and that was the one who cried and that was the one who took her top off like you know it, you can be reduced to just <laughs> those few things unfortunately which oh yeah. absolutely and um i did listen to the book in preparation for this because i wanted to know if there were any differences between the book and the movie and most of the women that are in that audition are mentioned in the book. Like the woman who takes her clothes off, the woman who talks about her um, attempted suicides, the woman who cries all the time. All of those caricatures are in the book. So it's definitely from Aoyama's point of view as he's looking at these women going, oh, none of the, them are Asami, whose essay I really liked? Question mark. Who writes an essay for an ad- audition? Yeah. <laughs> Ian, I wanted to ask you a question. Did you like the Tarkovsky reference? I did indeed. I was hoping you were going to bring that up. <laughs> of course, of course. That, that's really the only thing that I can relate to in in this conversation, not being an actor and not knowing what it feels like to uh, have to be on display in that kind of way. But I feel like uh, the one thing that really let me down in this film is I feel like this film could have gone for a sort of justice as far as casting cult, the casting couch culture goes. I mean, and now we're, we're looking at the film 20 years after the fact where, uh, 
a lot of that has come to the forefront and we're, we're dealing with people actually receiving justice for that. But um, I feel like this film had an opportunity to address that and didn't, but it, no fault of the film. That's not the story that it was trying to tell. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's, it's, you know, sometimes I feel like uh, issues with, with other films can be that it, I feel like it, it's trying to take on too much. It's trying to say a lot of things when you could just focus on a few. I, but I do I do think that while they they might not address it after the fact, I do think it's it's such a big part of the movie that she was found as a part of the audition process that it was I thought it was worth mentioning that that little bit. Um, yeah, uh, so so they've met and I, I guess I want to know what are you know, so we're about 40 minutes in when when they kind of meet and get together i i, I want to know what ian this was the first time you saw it is that right that's correct yeah so now when they, i watched it on shutter i want to talk to you guys about the the transfers that you saw because i streaming it on shutter and nothing to do with internet connection or anything like that but my the transfer that they had was a little soft so i'm curious to know how the arrow uh transfer looked just from a, so, a video quality standpoint Mine was a, a 2K restoration that they did. Um, parts of it were really good, and others, and I don't know how the, the the quality of the original negative was that they used, but parts of it were really tough, really really grainy, really soft. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, which is which is a shame because the the one thing that I want to highlight as we go through this film is the composition is stunning, uh, but the cinematography. In itself, the the lighting it's 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 weird. There's a there's this weird balance in the cinematography. Composition is great, lighting is not so much. It's kind of got a TV movie of the week feel, like a, a very uh, wet behind the ears sort of cinematographer is is shooting this thing. I can understand that. I do feel like it might have been a choice because at the beginning of the film we have this very romantic lighting and even frame of his wife dying (laughs) so for me I was like oh we're in a romantic drama and I I almost feel like it they chose to present it in a certain way because that's the way that uh Aoyama could have considered uh himself and his life he was kind of seeing himself through this lens but that might be me giving the movie too much credit (laughs) Because I do genuinely love it. But um, when I watch it, that's what I saw. I also watched the Shutter version. So I, I do agree. Some of it was a, a bit grainy. Um, and it, it's been a couple years since I've seen it. So I I couldn't tell a difference between the previous versions. But it, it, it's been a while since I, I watched the full film on, you know, Blu-ray or DVD or anything. Usually I, I just streamed it this time. Well, you're talking to a hardcore... Um, physical media guy here so I of course own it now for some reason because that's just what I do Um, so and I I guess I don't know how to bring this part of it up but I wanted to talk about um, not I don't want to call it continuity issues but the the actual like the way that they would cut from place to place and moment to moment uh, specifically between uh, um, Asami and uh, Ayama and like they'd be in one restaurant, they'd cut to another and they'd like change an angle and they'd be empty. And I, I, I just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. If it, if it worked for you or if it, if it meant anything or how, how it sort of, you know, if it, if it stuck with you. 
Are you talking specifically about the the sort of last conversation that they have? We start with a restaurant that's very full, and then when they pull back, the restaurant appears to be empty. I kind of I kind of felt like they were trying to um, give the feeling of of a, a sort of transition in time, like they are so into each other that they've been talking so long that it's closing time, and the restaurant has sort of filed out is what I interpreted from that. I was trying not to put it down to a continuity issue. No, well, I, it's, I don't think it's, I don't think it's that, but there, there are moments too where, and it's, it's not, it's not continuity and I know it's very intentional, but there's this, like they're talking in the one restaurant and then there's, there's a very hard cut to a new restaurant. Um, with no, it seems like I can't, and it's one of those things where I can't tell if it's a continuation of the same conversation and, uh, you know, we're meant to believe that this might not be reality or if it is just it's another date and it seems like the conversation is still going because it is the courting period. Um, and I just found a lot of that uh, that cross cutting interesting. Um, yeah. So what I think from this is I was watching this film is I think that is um Aoyama's unreliable narrator coming through. Uh, he's choosing what things he wants to remember from what date, and he's piecing it together himself so that any red flags that come up, um, he's ignoring completely, which is why at the end during the dream sequence, we're getting these snippets of conversation that we had never seen before. Because when you're in those beginning weeks of a new romance you look at this person and you think wow there's nothing wrong with them everything they say is wonderful and you might especially if you want this person to be perfect for you you might forget about things or look over things they've said that could potentially be a red flag and say oh maybe we aren't that compatible or maybe she's going to try to cut my foot off with a piano wire and completely ignore it because you want this person to be perfect and so for me, watching it, that's what I thought. I just assumed that we this film is completely from Aoyama's point of view, and he is showing us what he wants us to see. No, and that's a that's a that's a fair assessment. And and I I, I know I read something, and I I didn't think about it actively when I was watching the movie, but afterwards I thought it was interesting. Which is, there's that uh, for me genuinely startling moment where. Um, Asami is waiting for the phone call and she's sort of crouched down and her head is drooping and she's her her hair is hanging down and it's her the physical contortion of her body is is one thing but then when that bag moves it a it 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 fucking scared the shit out of me but b what I read later on was you know there's no way that uh uh, Ayama could could have known or could have seen this or know where she lived or knew what it was and that's and it's it's a I think it's when that happens it's around a time where he is actually falling as he's in bed and he dreams of his wife and she goes behind a tree, and um, so I think we're we're already meant to believe like like uh, like you've already kind of mentioned that he he's having some misgivings about her he's just choosing to ignore them to not see them and it, and that's what I think makes it so interesting later on in that dream sequence where the bag opens and all the oh, yes. fucking limbs and shit fall out of it. Um, <laughs> So, oh. so yeah, um, I, and I, I guess it's just, it's the way that this movie plays with, with editing and, and I don't know if it's like the timeline or, or, you know, cause obviously we get after they've slept together in, in, in the one version where he wakes up and she's gone and he start he kind of takes it upon himself to investigate her past and, and go to the, the, the dance studio and to go to the restaurant. It, 
it's not that it seems it's not that it, I don't believe that it's happening, uh, but it's the way in which he's kind of he happens to get there and you know like like this there's a random guy in a wheelchair inside you know from the outside this building looks pretty dilapidated but inside it you know it's empty but it doesn't look like it's it's been neglected and there's just there's a lot of things that are really interesting that uh oh yeah about that whole sequence that I, I i find i found interesting when i was watching it and then kind of reading about it later on i i, I found more interesting thinking about it in hindsight it this last time watching it i realize similarities between this film and like Mulholland Drive in the dreamlike aspects that come through uh, the filmmaking. And I really appreciated it because I, uh, for me, I was like, I don't, I don't care why this doesn't match up because I'm so involved in this story that I can accept that this is reality for, for these characters, which is something that you kind of have to do with like a David Lynch movie because who knows what he's doing? Let's be real. Um, and I, I really appreciated it while I was watching it because I think it was the first time that I, I tried to look at it with a very critical eye instead of just enjoying what was happening. And I found myself enjoying it even more because if I found for myself, if a film is really, if a film is, how do I put this? If I am engrossed in a film, I don't care where something's coming from. If it's put together well like I'm I'm perfectly fine with accepting this dream sequence if it is telling me an interesting story whereas if I'm not as engaged I'm gonna sit and pick it apart like I watched Annihilation and I really wanted to love it and I ended up just trying to pick apart the movie because I didn't enjoy it and that's where I stood on that I was like okay whatever we'll accept this and go with it because that's the world of this film Ian, what did how did how did you react to those the moments after uh, the morning the morning after they've had sex and and he kind of goes about his investigation? Uh, there's there's only one scene that really bugged me, and that's uh, when his producer is trying to get him to to ease off. And there's um and this I don't know maybe being too analytical about performance or whatever, but the 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 performances between the two guys are so low energy that it doesn't match kind of what they're trying to do thematically and from a film point of view like the camera it's it's all very it's handheld and it's shaky cam and it's supposed to feel very dynamic but there's their performances don't match what the cameramen are doing sure yeah yeah i don't i don't know if that's if that's sort of resonating at all but that's that it, as far as the the scene which directly proceeds uh, follows that that's that's kind of my feeling it was it was very jarring because i'm i'm in it i'm i i'm with him and I want to know why she's left and then we have this this scene which is just at odds with itself sure well and and it's funny I know uh in one of the interviews I watched with uh with Mike was that he um that uh uh Rue Ishibashi um was uh was a uh, in a rock band before this and that he kept he kept uh Mike kept saying that he wanted to be cool he's a very cool guy and that um, he found himself not not at not at odds with him, but find uh, Mike found himself sort of relenting a bit more and letting him kind of be a cool guy. So I wonder. I'm again trying to sort of maybe put what I've heard into into what you're saying is maybe maybe it's low energy in terms of of just the way he's playing it, which is like he's he's got this. You know, he's maybe he's totally just deflecting what his friend is saying because even even as he's starting to invest, you know. Ha- 
as his personal doubts are starting to be raised, he's still not wanting to admit it. Um, so, but but I, I hear you on on the the energy levels being a bit imbalanced. Um, one more thing, I, well, not one more thing, because I'm sure we'll talk about this a <laughs> more. But the thing about that, where he's he goes to the bar, and again, I read this later, and I don't think I would have put it together, is when he. Um, when the the guy who he stops in the hallway is sort of talking about what happened there, and that um, the the person who died had their their tongue cut out. When he when he goes inside and the tongue is moving, I never thought about the fact that I mean a tongue out out of the body probably wouldn't do it anyway. But he that he sees it moving, and again I and I, going back to Brittany's point about sort of him being an unreliable narrator like. There's no way in hell that in actuality that tongue was moving at all. Oh no. But, we the way that we can sort of reconstruct narratives in our head because it's the you know it's like you tell a story and like you know is it more is it more interesting to say that oh I was at a party and a couple of cops came or is it more exciting to say I was at this party and like 40 cops showed up or something (laughs) like there's just a way that we change the narrative and sometimes we don't even we don't even do it intentionally it's just the way that you know we want to tell the story a bit better and and I, 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 I just kind of hearkening back to the unreliable narrator thing I just think the way that he's he's seen everything um particularly the uh the creepiest fuck guy in the wheelchair i let's let's talk about that guy just for oh, a hot second yes. well bef- before we get there oh, that that yeah. scene is is where the film started to pull me back in because if i'm honest i do i do love a slow burn as well but i didn't feel like there was enough meat on the bone story-wise in order to support this slow burn and then it's when the surrealistic elements of the film start to creep in in that scene particularly and then when we do get to the old men that's where i'm like okay now i'm back in you it feels like now you have something to show me whereas you were just kind of biding your time beforehand i feel like there is a good 10 minutes or so that could be lost from the first half of this film i do agree with that it goes on a little bit long once i got to that 40 minute mark and he started kind of getting going over the edge i was like yes we're into it we're into my favorite part and i can't wait for the descent into torture (laughs) I wish you both could see me right now. I have like my fists up and I'm pounding them because I'm so excited. I, I believe it. I believe it. Um, uh, Guy in the so, wheelchair. Is he unsung hero? Oh, I was, I, no. I, I was going to. I was going to. That's mine. That actually is mine. Is it? Because I, I, I didn't. I didn't prepare one. I was going to kind of feel out the room for an unsung hero. But that's kind of where I'm leaning. I have a real I, weird one. <laughs> No, I, I can't wait. So I do because I think obviously Mike and and uh, Ishibashi and and um, Ihai, I think they all. I mean, though it's it, the 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 this, the credit for the way the movie came out and our two leads. I think they're fairly sung, um, but this guy in the wheelchair, man, he I, the creep factor on him is is real high. And and granted, I I think because we only see him really in in figments of a of a of a exaggerated version of what he probably was it, it, it he gets to play this guy at a level of creep that's just off the charts and and again I, you know thinking about this movie again after the fact you you know in the moment you could think this guy's doing too much but i think knowing that this this version of the story that we're seeing isn't entirely true it it, it works like his level works for what he's supposed to do Oh, yeah. I I love him. I hate him at the same time because he's a horrible, horrible man. Um, His prosthetic legs or feet are incredible. Every time I see them, I feel my my stomach turn because I'm like, oh, God, I don't I don't need to see those whatever it is you've made to walk on. Um, 
I have a bit of a strange unsung hero in this film because it's not actually a character. Like, it's not a, an actor. Yeah, it, that, that's totally fine. The unsung hero in this movie is costuming for me, which okay. might seem weird. But in the book, there's a lot of emphasis on uh, Asami's clothing and the way that she presents herself to uh, Aoyama. Every time she walks into the room, he talks about, oh, she was wearing this understated but beautiful blue scarf with this white you know, linen shirt, and it was just wonderful. And she's such a good girl because they talk a lot about finding the good girl in the book. And it's, I feel like they did such a good job of presenting Asami the way that Aoyama wanted to see her throughout. And then the end is iconic. Her white shirt with her pleated cream-colored skirt and that butcher's apron is one of the scariest costumes I've ever seen in my life. And I feel like without the costume choices they made in this film, Asami probably wouldn't be as strong of a character because they're so pointed and you know exactly what's going on. I mean, she wears that incredibly beautiful but a very loose uh, like shirt dress when they go to the beach to kind of show this innocence. But it's also very easy to take off so that she can take it all off and show her body to him and say, look at my scars and look at me and love me anyways, which he does. He laps it up. He eats. Well, no. OK, let me rephrase that. He <laughs> he he accepts what she's giving to him because he wants he he wants what she's showing him. And I feel like the costuming makes it possible for Asami to pull the wool over his eyes. If it has to be a person, I would say it is the secretary because she's the actual good girl that he's been looking for this whole time. And she's been there the, she's been there with him forever. They've slept together and he doesn't want to give her the time of day, even though she is a good girl, even though she would take care of his family. She would cook for them, I'm sure. She would, you know, she would take care of his son and he doesn't want anything to do with her. Well, uh, so just so you know, uh, Unsung Hero can be anybody. So okay, great. Costumer is totally fine. Perfect. And I think um, that's the first time we've had a, a we've had costume as the Unsung Hero. So we, we, we've definitely been all around the production side of things, but yeah, I don't think we've ever picked a costumer. Nah, not we didn't do it on Vertigo, did we? No, but I think the closest we got was on Cries and Whispers pretty recently. Oh, God, that movie is just incredible. Have you seen Cries and Whispers, Brittany? I haven't seen it, no. Oh, God, do do yourself a favor. Watch that movie. It's, okay, it's I will. Berg, Bergman is um, definitely a must. But let's go. But um, I, but I'm, I'm so glad you brought up the secretary though, because that was something that was peppered throughout the movie. And initially, I was, I was just confused. Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, she's a pretty one note character but then if we consider that this is all from Aoyama's point of view of course she is because he doesn't take the time to get to know her even though she very obviously is pining over him you know she kind of tells him oh I'm getting married and he doesn't respond the way that she obviously wants him to and it's very obvious from her face but he doesn't care at all because he's not considering her feelings I think she's great. I love the secretary. And every time she's on screen, I just, my heart breaks for her even more because she just looks miserable. And I'm like, go, girl, go get a new job. Like, don't stay I, with this guy. He's an ass. Oh, I'm sorry. Can we swear? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, totally. Totally. <laughs> okay. We sorry. Do, we I do didn't all know. The time. He's a real big jerk. So maybe go find a new job. The only thing I was going to say about the secretary uh, was just that when, when she first, I, I think it's the first time we see her in, 
or it could be even the second time. I, I don't know. But she basically just says like, I'm, I'm going home now. And he's like, yeah, okay. I, it, it was, I, I laughed, but not because I thought I, I, not because I thought she was being silly or because I thought, you know, what an idiot, but it was one of those, like, it, I laughed because it was so awkward. It was so oh, yeah. uncomfortable to be like, for us to clearly see, she wants you to respond to her. Oh, <laughs> and, yeah. And you just don't care. You just don't give a shit. Um, yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was interesting. And yeah, just poor, the poor secretary. That's about all I got. So, so how much, how much, how much empathy do we really have for our lead, and do we, do we feel like he deserves the torture that he gets at the end? That is a lovely, lovely question. I figured we'd get to at some point. Um, Brittany, you want to, you want to go, you want to get to that first? Um. Yes. Okay. So I will say that my, uh, one of my favorite scenes in this whole film is when. Aom and his friend are at the bar and they hear the women laughing and they both kind of look over at them and they're irritated with them and they talk about how stupid they are. Um, and they talk about how stupid the women are and how they can't find any good women because all the good women have gone. And at that point, I was like, cool, you are an asshole and I don't like you very much. Um, that being said, I think he's he's a great actor. And throughout it, I was like, man, you are a misogynistic creep who tells your son, good job, she's a good good lady when he brings you know a girl home to go over i don't know their science hit homework or something but i don't think he deserves to get his feet cut off or to get um you know uh, yeah i don't think he deserves torture but i also don't think he's done anything well throughout the film he has unrealistic expectations of this woman that he met in an audition that he chose to be his wife and he doesn't actually go through the motions of trying to get to know the real her so i don't really like him but i also don't think he deserved to lose his foot well and i i'm i'm glad this came up and and ian we'll we'll end with you because i just want to go back to that essay that came in the the arrow uh copy that i have and i i pulled this other quote because i i i was hoping this was going to come up which was it says uh yet there is something in the way that oyama conducts himself all boyish embarrassment and painful sincerity that contrasts with Yoshikawa's more obvious cynicism and misogyny. So I, I think what 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 uh, this Anton Battelle is trying to say is that um, Yoshikawa is the you know he's the guy in the industry. He's the one who's being misogynistic and and definitely looking at at women as more of objects. Whereas, um. I, whereas Oyama is maybe more guilty by association, you know, like, mm. oh, I guess we'll do this, but oh, I don't know. And he just happens to find the woman of his dreams. Uh, it's just that he can't tell her how 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 he met her, you know, or, or that he was behind that in, to begin with. And there's something about that, you know, like, is it is there the varying degrees of, of, of wrong, you know, like like obviously it's wrong what they did, but. You know, but he, it wasn't really his idea. He just went along with it. And, you know, who gets the, wh where do we place blame? And I, I, I just thought that was all really, really interesting. There is something innocent about the way that he's, he's going about it. The way he, he turns his wife, his wife's picture away as he starts to go through the headshots. He, he definitely is in a world. My favorite detail, it, by the way. It's a great, it's a great, it's a great little bit. I think but, that's giving him way too much credit, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> oh, that, cool. No, yeah. I, I. Ian, what about you? Well, I, I, I don't think that he's a good guy, and I don't think that he's someone that we should necessarily empathize with one hundred percent. And again, I don't 
I don't I don't think that he deserves all the punishment that he gets at the end. Um, what I do want to revisit is the idea of an unreliable narrator, which I, I love when we, we talk about his character, but also I feel like Asami is an unreliable oh, yeah. narrator in, her, in, her, in and of herself. And so we have these competing... Because uh, the, only, the only person that we see do wrong, other than the two men that bring her into the audition... Uh, the only the only person we see do wrong to Asami is the man in the wheelchair. All the rest of it, we just have to take her word for. So I, I want to kind of play devil's advocate here in the sense that, yeah, we shouldn't empathize with with our with our lead. But how much should we also empathize with the woman who has, quote unquote, been abused? We've seen the abuse at the hands of the wheelchair man, but we only have her word on her uncle and her aunts. And is is there someone else I'm forgetting? She says who abused her as well. I think that, I I think that it, uh, what I got from it was that the man in the bag was probably the um the partner of the person who was killed at the bar because they said that it was a lovers' quarrel. So I always assumed that that's who that man was. So I'm a or the or maybe the the Ace Records executive yeah, that they talk exactly. about who's been missing yeah. for eighteen yeah, yeah. months. There is something about the idea of like believing someone who so there 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 is a very problematic part of this whole story and that's the idea that this all came out of Asami being abused because as we know not all women are it, how do I put this so the idea that it just purely came out of her abuse is it's not a good narrative. I mean, we there are many people who are abused in their lives and they are able to continue to have a very normal life. Whereas we see serial killers who have a completely normal life, like, I don't know, the BTK killer. And he they still go through their lives and have these urges to do things, not because of how they were raised, but just because how they are. And it's it's a very difficult subject to breach that whole idea, you know? And that's one of the things that people had a problem with the original book even because they said it was incredibly shallow and um, this female character was defined purely because of the abuse that she had, not from for anything else. And that's the reason that she is a quote-unquote monster. What I love about this film is that even if you took all of that information away, even if Asami had never been abused, I think she still would be a, this person who hurts people. And... She's kind of up there for me with like Freddy Krueger and Leatherface. She is this this person that goes through and kills people because she wants to. And she she uses this idea of men hurting her to be able to kill whoever she wants or to torture whoever she wants. And I kind of love that. I am okay with us having a female who is up there with the universal horror icons. In that well, sense, I, I think she's more like uh, Jason Voorhees or Michael Myers. Yes, maybe. I agree. But I agree. I was, see, I was I was going Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. Oh, that's good. But I, I think I she's mean, up there with them. I mean, how many females do we get to to put up there with Hannibal Lecter? I love Asami for that reason because I am a huge horror fan, and I like the idea of being able to watch this film and and appreciate the fact that it's a woman doing it. Which might be well, fucked she, up, but no, okay. no, no. I, I mean, I, no, I, I mean, obviously this is a movie, but I, I do think that 
that's a that's a legit like we you know there aren't too many uh, I, scary movie monster people or whatever that that are female um and I just and I just to kind of not wrap it up, but uh, this just this the idea of you know, yeah, what he what he's doing is not right. You no, know, this, the fake audition not cool, and then and then basically wooing her under false pretenses, but but certainly you know lopping off somebody's foot because of that probably isn't the best response. And the way that they they pivot these two things against each other is is really interesting because we you know however innocent he may see himself or how how charming he may be he still decided to go through with it and that's oh, yeah. not cool but at the end of the day if getting needles poked in in your eye is the outcome i don't i don't know if the punishment fits the the crime oh i don't yeah. <laughs> um but that's the thing is it really does it's it's uh it really brings forth this idea of 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 gender and power and and you know who who gets to decide, you know, when a relationship starts and when it ends and, and, and who, who has the power in it? I, I did, I did find really interesting. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the power dynamics flips in the middle of it after they sleep together and she disappears. Then he all of a sudden is chasing after her when she's stalking him and, you know, putting sedatives or whatever, uh, paralyzing drugs into his whiskey. Um, you know, he's trying to find out about her because all of a sudden she's gone and he needs her. So she knows that she has more power at that point. But then, you know, of course he has a son, so he can't just love her. Oh, no. That is one of the film's strengths. I'm glad you brought that up, that that he's the one chasing her and not vice versa. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think it's a really... I, I just love this film. I think it's very interesting. And I don't think we would have certain films today if this hadn't become such a big, uh, it hadn't become such a big deal in like 2000. I don't think we would have a film like Hereditary if we didn't have Audition first. Not with the accolades that it received. Yeah, yeah. I definitely, in a way, just with, with, uh, slightly psychotic female uh main characters i definitely and maybe because we just we ian and i recently talked about it but uh gone girl came to mind a little bit oh yeah just oh, with yeah. the the precision and and uh and and i and i guess i don't i de- at the movie ended and i i one of the things i was left wondering was you know how many people do we think she's done this to she's only 24 so i assume she's probably only done it to about three people yeah, I think there's That's, only three that we know for sure. Yeah, there could have been I, others, but yeah, and that, I, that was my. I mean, do we? Are I guess part part of what was are we meant to believe that the ones that we've seen kind of represented in the movie are the only ones because you know they're the ones that caused her this trauma um, versus just I guess I don't know picking off people you know at, at random. But there seemed to be in in the storytelling at least uh, a, a very specific reason why it was each of these people that kind of met their their end with her yeah I, don't, I would say that it seems like you would invest a lot of time into a relationship like this but they also got engaged after what two dates so i don't know she could just be blowing through men you know you never know and she seems pretty good at like covering her tracks that's a that's another one of my favorite scenes where he, he they're on the roof and there's all the, the golf balls in the foreground and his, uh, his producing partner is urging him to, hey, why don't you slow down? Why don't you take your time knowing? And there's that longing in his face knowing that he's not going to do 
he's not going to follow the advice that I'm giving him. He's already, he's in too deep. Oh, yeah, I agree. That's such a, a good scene because it is kind of, um, he he's trying to persuade his friend to stop, but he knows that he's losing the battle because his friend decided before, way before the auditions that this was the woman he was going to marry. He is completely into everything she's giving him and she nailed the audition she went in and showed him exactly what he wanted to see how do we feel about that trope by the way the idea of in the sort of in a procedural film or detective film there's the the clue that happens and it's usually because a piece of paper drops out of our lead's hand or somebody spills something on something which is what happens in the film he spills tea onto her cv onto her resume and that's how he finds her that that trope is a little tv movie of the week for me if i'm honest oh i completely agree i don't like it at all but i thought it fit i i mean i don't understand why he couldn't have just seen her picture and thought and then be just grabbed grabbed by her presence or whatever and then read because i feel like it's ultimately what she's written that's what he references in the audition with her um, the fact that yeah, I, no, I agree. It's there, you know, there are certain tropes that we see, and that that's one of them. The, that that uh, oh, I just happened to do A, which led me to B. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's we it's the same also... with the beginning. We have the you know, we have the death of the the wife, and then seven years later is a is another trope that I know we've had problems with on this show before with certain films. Are like, hey, cut to three weeks later, and this is where our story actually begins. <laughs> I I uh, absolutely understand that is such a tired way to tell a story, but maybe they did it on purpose because of the way that uh, our lead character sees himself. He sees himself as a leading man who wants to find a new wife. So this could potentially be what's happening in his head. You know, maybe he sees himself as somebody who is going through a movie. I mean, why else would he hold an audition, right? That's that's how I'd like to to because I've only watched it the once in preparation for this episode. I would like to rewatch it with that sort of idea in mind of the idea that he is an unreliable narrator and a lot more of it is happening in his head than I sort of first accepted. Yeah, yeah, that's. Yeah, I, I mean, I've seen this movie so many times that I that it's one of those things where I try to look for every option I possibly can, um, like a little creep that I am, but. Uh, <laughs> But I do, I do have a real soft spot for him, unfortunately, even in his misogyny. I'm like, oh, you poor guy. I'm so sad that the patriarchy has made you so unhappy and you can't cook your own dinners and you can't, I don't know, do a, uh, now I don't like him again. I well, was a, there's, that, there's that line that is repeated a couple times in a film that, that man needs woman to take care of him. Otherwise he would exhaust himself. <laughs> oh God. I don't um, think I'd so, be a very, I, I don't think I would be the definition of a good girl. I mean, I'm a great wife, but I'm definitely not like the good woman they're looking for in this, uh, in this movie. So, uh, Ian, earlier you mentioned um, composition, and, I, and I, I was maybe wondering if that could lead into uh, whether or not we had a favorite scene or favorite shots that we wanted to reference. Well, I, I love when, as I mentioned earlier, I love or, or when I'm pulled back into the film is when all the surrealism starts to, to seep in. So there's a load of shots uh, after he's drugged and he's we're getting all flashbacks and we're getting all the information that we weren't given uh, earlier in the film. I, I There's a lot of shots in there I really like. I love the introduction of the man in the wheelchair because it's very... The, the scene is 
the the shot is sort of split down the middle it's very cold and blue on the left hand side of the screen and where he's entering it's it's very warm and sort of orangey red i i love the uh, the juxtaposition of the 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 color in that scene so that's probably one of my favorite shots Brittany, what about you um so my i really like the scene between a uh, like i said before when he and his friends are talking about the stupid women and why they need to find good women um but i actually think the entire dream sequence itself is my favorite scene in the movie and i think it's because i have a physical reaction to it and i'm always really impressed with a movie when i feel physically ill or i i start to shake or i i get very upset and like i have hives or something well not hives i don't get hives watching movies but you know <laughs> when i have that and i have to say the vomit scene is so upsetting and it makes me physically ill and i'm so impressed with that because that's a really hard thing to do to make now in, in anybody else's so uncomfortable in anybody else's research did did anybody else find that that was real vomit i couldn't yep. i couldn't verify yeah. that do we know I if that's verify true it either I, I've read I read a couple interviews where they talked about it being real and you know Takashi Miike said she's as an actor is a method actor which I don't agree with but uh, is a method actor <laughs> and she insisted on doing that herself and uh, I feel like that might be something they uh, elevated in order to make people uncomfortable but it worked because that is a really uncomfortable scene and I appreciate how uncomfortable it makes me feel. Now is that is that the line now that I have I have two actors on the show with me is that is that a line that you would draw on the sand like I'm not going to eat vomit I'm not that method Yeah For me Boy, I yes got, I got to tell you that be a it, I I'd have to maybe see an extra zero added to my paycheck before I did that <laughs> Well that's that's I, good to hear no. Mm-mm, no, I uh, don't agree with method acting. I think it's really dangerous. Um, give me the set of The Favorite any day where all of them were incredibly close and they worked really hard together to make really uncomfortable scenes. Give me that any day over somebody who's like, oh, I lived in the woods for 18 months and I lost 50 pounds and almost died because that's super unhealthy please don't make me do that so so neither of you are gonna daniel day lewis this shit and go into the woods and build a, a log cabin for the crucible then no See, i'm 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 mostly with Brittany, but i think it also depends on on the role it depends on on you know what 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 is it that i'm trying to get into you know i mean if it's if that's it's something totally that i fair. feel like yeah if i feel if i feel like it was something that would really actually help help with my performance versus just the vanity of you know oh somebody can read that i did i had to go and do this thing then no i don't i don't think that's worth it at all i agree with that there are you know but also i just really like i don't know i like myself i like being me and i like being able to go home to be me and if something's really difficult in on set i like to be able to take myself out of that as well because nobody wants to live in that. I don't want to live in a character for ages that has to vomit into a dog bowl and give it to her lover in a bag. No, thank you. That's I'm good. <laughs> um, for, uh, for me, with the shots, uh, there was you guys had already mentioned a bunch of them that I uh, that I really liked, and I, I mentioned earlier that when that bag moved early oh. on in the movie, it scared the crap out of me. But there was a shot, and uh, the composition was what what made me think of this too. Is when they've uh, they've checked into that hotel, and 
he looks outside and it's the shot of her. She's up the steps and she's looking out and he steps into frame. He doesn't step outside, but he's looking at her too. And we're watching, we just see the backs of these two people and in, in the moment a little bit, but especially now after the fact, there's just something so, so poignant about not being able to see the front of them, not being able to see them for who they are, even in those moments that we're looking at two people who we're quite honestly, we're never going to get to see the full versions of at any point in this movie. And I, I just, and, but again, going back to the way that the shot was framed, it, it just was a really, um, uh, uh, well, uh, well composed shot. Um, and I really just like the line to love me and nobody else. Um, I think that's, that's great. And it's so, it's, it's like fatal attraction-y. Like I really liked how sinister and honest it was. Um, that that stuck with me too, for sure. Oh, I I could have bet my kidneys on the fact that you were going to make some kind of fatal attraction comparison. <laughs> oh, well, there you she go. She does kill, you know, the dog in this, but she doesn't cook Oof. it, so that's that's true. That's a step that's up. True. Um, well, as I as I, I feel like we're nearing the end of this, I want to give us all a whole lot of props for not doing what I'm about to do, which is anybody's doing the kitty 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 kitty. Um, <laughs> Which was just that is some, as, yeah, that is some hardcore shit, man. Oof. Oh, when she the, like pulls herself up on his body over the um over the needles so that she can stick them yeah. in his eyes, man, I cringed. Oh man, no good. And that's no, that's probably good. why Rob Zombie called this one of the most unsettling films he's ever seen. Which yeah, coming from Rob Zombie means something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know. You should watch a uh, Visitor Q. That's that's another one that's pretty disturbing. Oh, I don't know that one. Uh, it's that's, it's that's a Takashi Miike film, yeah. and it's about a nuclear fa- the nuclear family and pretty much the dissolution of the nuclear family. And it deals with a wide variety of subjects, including but not limited to sex work, incest, heroin addiction, um, necrophilia, and lactation. Well, everything a growing boy needs, apparently. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but it's a comedy. Oh, <laughs> it's a very dark comedy. I'm I'm in. That that's all yeah. I needed. I'm in. That's the one of the best pitches I've ever heard. You are welcome. <laughs> so before we get to that that time where we ask the questions, is there any any lingering thoughts about audition that either of you two would like to throw out there? Hmm. No, I'm I'm good. I'm ready for question time. Brittany, what about you? I think that I've covered most of it that I, I mean, with this film, I could really just talk for hours on it. So I will stop. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with that, uh, we, we do this at the end of every show. So, uh, Brittany, do you think that audition should be in the book? So, like I said, I tried to go into this as a blank slate because I am biased. I love this film. I absolutely believe that this film should be in the book specifically because it was such an influential film at the beginning of the early 2000s it this movie and Ringo really put J-horror back on the map and without this film I don't think we would have a lot of the incredible cinema we have today Takashi Miike while not as big of a household name as like you know Guillermo del Toro or, you know, Eli Roth, not that I enjoy many of Eli Roth's movies. Um, he's incredibly influential in the horror community. And this film is, it kind of transcends so many aspects of horror. And I 
I think it deserves to be there. It deserves it. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Ian, uh, do you believe that audition should be in the book? I'm going to have to go no. Um, simply because I'm I'm more intrigued with some of the other films in Takashi Miike's uh, filmography. I don't... And and again, not having seen any of his other films, I feel like he has untapped potential that was not quite realized in this film. Uh, So I'm excited to see other films like Ichi the Killer and and, uh, and 13 Assassins and now Visitor Q as well after that fantastic pitch. Um, I'm sorry. (laughs) There's just... uh, No, 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 don't be sorry. I'm actually genuinely excited to see that. Um, There's just a lot of things as far as... uh, the the length and the pacing of this film that really could do with some work um it's just there's there's a and 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 again it might just be the 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 transfer that i saw there's there's, uh cinematography there's composition that which is fantastic but cinematography and music especially we didn't even bring up the music the music for me uh really let the film down especially that song at the end which is some sort of big J-pop. There's a lyric in there that goes, something about guarding your emotions. I'm like, this just feels completely out of place and just derails the end of the film. This is not how the film should end with this strange pop song. Um, So I do have a replacement, and it's my recommend at the beginning of the the episode is Cube. I would would pull, uh, right now, I would pull Audition out and replace it with Cube, but that's only based on one viewing and not having seen any other uh, Mike films. Oh, that's a good uh, cube. Cube is good, and I think under undervalued and underrated, and and I do think it should be in the book too. Um, but it's tough because there are. I do think that this movie could be reduced by by people who who don't give it enough thought as just a, a torture porn movie, and I don't think that that's what it is. I think that's um, an unfair assessment as well to call it a torture oh, totally. porn film. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. And I, it's, it's, I, I really, I'm totally stuck in between the two of you because I, I do think uh, like on Britney's end, I think that coming into it, even though, even knowing what I knew about it, it didn't prepare me for not just what happens in the end, but the, the twist and turns that it kind of takes along the way. But I agree with Ian where there's, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, I don't want to say basic film elements, but there are parts of the score and, and it could, it could just be transfer issues, but there are, there were some, some problems I felt like with the actual filming of the movie. Um, and cube is an excellent film. And, uh, and while I would love to see cube in the book right now, asking the question, I'm going to go with that. It should be in the book. Um, uh, there's just not a lot of movies like this in the book and I think in, in a lot of ways I think the book has a lot of safe choices and this is a very unsafe choice although I agree that Cube would also be an unsafe choice and I am fully behind putting Cube in the book I <laughs> you're also being fully very behind that you're being very diplomatic about it I, I appreciate I that really, I really am I really am Cube um, is a really great movie so it, it should is. absolutely be in the book it is a phenomenal film but the, the question is, is would you sacrifice Audition at the expense of Cube being in there I don't think I can do that personally. Um, I, I think that's that okay. Audition 100% needs to be in there because it's a very important film for um, f- for Japanese cinema. But there are lots of other films in there that we could pull out and put Cube in as well. So we can have both of them. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, 
Well, there you have it. So those are our three uh, differing opinions on Audition. Uh, but of course, as always, we want to know what you think. So please hit us up on Facebook and on Twitter. Let us know uh, if you've seen Audition. Uh, and when you do, let us know what you what you thought of it. It would be great to hear your, your thoughts on it. You can find us on Spotify and Stitcher and Google Play and Apple Podcasts and all these great things. Um, we are recording this in the midst of the coronavirus mess uh we are all quarantined um so uh hopefully we're giving you something to listen to and uh some some kind of enjoyment even though this movie uh isn't necessarily about joy um it certainly <laughs> is it certainly is an interesting film um Brittany, again thank you so much for not just being on the show but bringing your your Mikkei knowledge that the two of us were just lacking <laughs> severely so oh, no. thank you for that thank you guys so much for having me this has been really fun i am now I don't have to talk my husband's ear off about Mike films that he has no interest in. Well, when 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 Ian and I got together to do this, you know, we're just we're two friends from high school who 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 were became friends through film, and we do this because we like it, and so it's always great to bring people on the show who also share that love of film. Yeah, I I appreciate it. This has been super fun. Thank you so much for having me. No, thank you for being here. It's been a pleasure. Uh, so there you have it. And um, please tune in next week for a movie that I just teased a little bit. We're going to be switching gears quite a bit uh, to a, a definitely complicated comedy from the 80s. Next week, we're talking about Tootsie. But but until then, I am Adam. And I am Ian. And we will see you next week. Bye.